Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. My name is Lou Moore. I'm the president of the Washington Research Council. And today is a Policy Today Common Ground edition. And I'm here today with our regular panelists, Randy Abrams Karras, a progressive activist, as well as with Mary Strau, the communications director at the Research Council. And Mary, we have a special guest. We sure do. We have Representative Drew Hansen, who is with us today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, We'll do a quick introduction here. Uh, You have quite an impressive biography, I must say. Um, So you are a member of the Washington State House of Representatives. Representative Hansen has represented the 23rd Legislative District, which is most of Kitsap County since 2011. Is that true? That's right. All right. Um, He is chair of the House Higher Education Committee and also serves on the House Appropriations Committee and the Judiciary Committee. Um, Representative Hansen graduated from Yale Law School and Harvard University. Before law school, he studied theology at Oxford University, where he was a Rhodes Scholar. He is the author of a book, The Dream, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Speech that Inspired a Nation, which U.S. Representative John Lewis called a great contribution to the history of the movement. When the legislature is not in session, Representative Hansen practices law as a partner at, is it Sussman? It is. Sussman Godfrey, LLP. He lives on Bainbridge Island with his wife, Julie, and their two cute young children. All right, so Representative Hansen, again, welcome. Thank you. Um, One of the reasons we wanted to have you on is, well, you're very smart, and we like having (laughs) smart guests. So you have worked with uh, Republican State Representative Chad Magandans on computer science education bills that have um, aimed to expand computer science education in our public schools. Can you first talk about how you got involved in this process? Sure. So I represent Kitsap County, which you might not think of as a great source of tech talent, but you should because we have quite a few employers, current and some former employers who hire a lot of software engineers. So Avalara, Paladin, the U.S. Navy has a great need for software engineers. And for me, my interest in this came out of talking with these employers and hearing their frustration that they could not find enough high-end software engineers, really creative, talented software engineers to fill their jobs. And of course, we all know that's a problem not just in Kitsap County, but particularly all around the Puget Sound area where Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Tableau will hire as many talented software engineers as the state can produce. And it struck me that though the government can't solve all the world's problems, if we have a situation where we have employers who want to hire lots and lots of software engineers and a state that is not producing lots and lots of software engineers, we can probably do a little bit better than we are doing. So that's what sparked my interest in it. And so you teamed up with Representative Magadons and worked with Washington STEM and uh, were able to sponsor two bills in particular. One was on um, uh, computer science AP courses in high school and making that count towards uh, math and science graduation. Right. Am Mm -hmm. I getting that right? Absolutely. Uh, And then that was in 2013. That's right. And then this last legislative session in 2015, it was providing grants uh, for uh, computer computer science education training for teachers. Am I getting that 
right? right. Yeah, it did. We so Chad and I, Representative Magnus and I, spent probably two or three years looking at this problem. And we had a large, large group of people interested. We had a lot of help from Microsoft in identifying the scope of the problem, a lot of help from Washington STEM, a lot of help from Code.org, a lot of help from the WEA, the Teachers Union, a lot of help from uh, Google's Director of Computer Science Education. And we ended up breaking the problem down into three big areas. First, the K-12 pipeline, what we can do to get more young people interested in computer science. Second, the college degree pipeline, what can we do to graduate more software engineers quickly? And third, non-traditional ways to address the problem. What do we do with short-term coding boot camps and massive open online courses? And so the legislation and the budget requests we put forward over the past three years were directed mostly at the first two of those. We did in 2013 a step to make computer science count as a math or science course rather than an elective, which ended up spreading nationwide fairly quickly as a reform step. And then last year, we established computer science statewide teaching standards, which weirdly Washington State did not have. We established a computer science education endorsement, just like you can get an earth science endorsement, which weirdly Washington State did not have. And we made computer science educators eligible for certain retooling scholarships, which weirdly they were not. And in addition to that, we put a bunch of money in a grant program for professional development for educators. And then on top of all of this, in this last budget, we funded a big, big expansion of the University of Washington's computer science department and then smaller expansions at Washington State University and Western. And it was neat. It was a neat bipartisan process. It's the the education bills, the two bills which affected K-12 were the rare pieces of education legislation that both the Washington Education Association and Stanford Children very, very strongly supported. So that was rewarding. Isn't that something? It's, yeah, it sounds like you really got everybody on board. And just to put, for our listeners, to put this in perspective, I just went on code.org and got their stats for Washington State. There are currently 20,574 open computing jobs and only 860 computer science graduates from Washington State. So that's a huge No, gap. absolutely. And that's so one of our frustrations is even if you quintuple capacity from UW-Seattle's computer science and engineering program, you're still not close to meeting demand. And those graduates from that program in particular are the ones who are having the most successful careers at companies like Amazon or Google or Microsoft. And that's where we wanted to focus first, which is not an easy thing to do in an education landscape where the default option is let's give everyone the same amount of money or and split it 10 ways equally. And so we had a lot of Uh, We had to spend a lot of time talking to people about that and explaining that the reason we wanted to expand the UW at Seattle was not because we represent Seattle, because neither Representative Magandas nor I represent Seattle, but because that's what recruiters from Tableau, Google, Avalara, Microsoft, Nordstrom were telling me. So why can't that program be replicated elsewhere? And why can't you work with those recruiters to find those other programs acceptable. Why can't WSU, um, and I have no affiliation with WSU, but why can't WSU produce those graduates? So this is the good news. Is when I, so I personally spent 
10 to 20 hours on the phone with recruiters from all these tech companies. I just asked them, what, like, like the actual people who do the recruiting, who do the interviews and who run the recruiting process and said, which programs in our state produce graduates you value the most highly? And the answer was UW number one, but also WSU and Western. And the good news, particularly from Western's perspective, is 10 years ago, this was not a computer science degree program that you would have heard mentioned in the same sentence as the UW Seattle's program, but now it is. And so when people would come to us and say, from other campuses and other institutions and say, how come I don't get money? We would say there's actually a data-based reason for this, number one, but number two, we'd be delighted for your program to be at a level, maybe not of a UW Seattle, but of a Western Washington University program. And let's figure out if you can work with Ed Lazowska at the University of Washington or others, how to develop your program and move it forward in that way, and then come back with the budget ask. We'd be delighted to support something like that in the future. So, Representative, you talked about the K-12 through pipeline, the college degree pipeline, and then you mentioned non-traditional approaches. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, there's been a lot of attention paid to the coding boot camp, the 12-week course where a film studies major from the University of Washington realizes that he or she is unlikely to get a degree to pay off his or her debt. And because they have that great UW liberal arts training, they can join that with technical skills they can pick up at a 12-week coding boot camp and go be a software engineer. Now, they are are they going to be as good as one of Ed Lazowska's master's students? No, they won't, out of the box at least. But who knows? And careers are long, and a lot of software engineering learning happens on the job. And so we, I guess, Representative Magandas, and I felt like our role in relation to that ecosystem was more to make sure we're doing no harm than to try to do anything related to that space. I'm just wondering, because you had mentioned, I think you had mentioned maybe before we, we started this podcast, that uh, we've got this deficit of 20,000 folks, and you know, even in quintupling the number that are coming through now, it's still leaving quite a shortfall. So I was just wondering if there uh, in the non-traditional area, if there's a way to make up more of that gap. No, I think that's definitely, it's unquestionably part of the solution. I think one reason, at least for me, that I wanted to be cautious about sticking our fingers in that world too quickly is it is it is new, it's rapidly evolving, and for better or for worse, there was a time some decades ago when the federal government expanded eligibility for federal financial aid to for-profit two-year career colleges. And some of these are fantastically successful and produce degrees that have fantastic salience in the workplace. Others of them do not. And given that we don't seem to have a problem finding students that are willing to ante up the money for a 12-week coder boot camp, it did not seem to end, number one. Number two, we have a backlog of 30,000 students in the state's financial aid program already. It did not not seem to be a productive step to think about expanding financial aid eligibility for the state need grant for some of these 12-week coder conversion courses. I have a more general question about access to higher ed, um, because even if you have students willing to go into computer sciences and coding and get the degree, they can't afford it. Or that liberal arts student who finds themselves um, in the position of not being able to repay their student loans unless they do a coder boot camp or something. How how are we going to make the system more accessible um, for everyone, whether they're getting a degree in computer science or a liberal arts degree, um, and not be saddled with many years of debt? 
So this was an area where, as you know, we had broad bipartisan consensus in this past session where we cut tuition by double digits, leading the state in doing that. And there were there were disagreements about the distribution of the cut. I wanted a much deeper cut in community college tuition because that's where most of our state students are, not to mention many of our state's lowest income students. I was not able to get that. But that's but the the good news is we had broad agreement on the idea that we should reduce tuition and actually pay for it in some sustainable manner. So at the end of the day, we closed net $350 million over 10 years in tax loopholes to fund a roughly $300 million, uh, sorry, $350 million over four years in tax loopholes to fund a roughly $300 million over four years tuition cut. And that's unique. I mean, it's unique to have a state where Republicans and Democrats will agree on hundreds of millions of dollars of loophole closures to fund hundreds of millions of dollars in tuition cuts. Um, I wanted to ask you also, Representative Hansen, about you've done a lot of work on, um, in addition to computer science, um, just addressing this issue of really preparing students for the workforce and making sure they're getting, getting an education, not only that makes them well-rounded and is enriching to them personally, but that also prepares them to get a good paying job when, when they get out. Um, and one of the areas you've worked on is... Um, technical education, not necessarily going and getting a a four-year university degree, but perhaps getting um, training for a really highly skilled manufacturing job where you could be getting $60,000 as soon as you graduate. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, this is an area where we've tried to focus more in the higher ed committee than we have in the past, where there are any number of either joint labor management or exclusively labor-sponsored apprenticeship programs where people come out and make very good money, certainly more money than many graduates of four-year institutions, depending on their major, will make. And in the construction trades in particular, they have the informal motto that we don't pick what we can't lay. We don't lay. We don't bring people into our apprenticeship program unless we can actually be sure there are jobs waiting for them on the other side. Similar dynamic in healthcare, where there's very successful training and education partnerships with the Service Employees International Union and the healthcare workers, and able to bring workers up the skill ladder to qualify for higher and higher paying jobs in the healthcare field. And so the good news from the state's perspective is much of that costs the state nothing. I mean, the SEIU projects are jointly funded by uh, paycheck, are, are funded by paycheck deductions that go into a training and education fund. And in the construction apprenticeships, it's, it's, it, it operates on a generally similar model. We have, now obviously there are two-year degree programs that we do fund, or less than two-year degree programs that we do fund that give people skilled trade jobs, like in welding, for example, or composites. And that's something we're always on the lookout for, is for industry in particular to identify for the legislature which skilled trade programs actually generate the types of employees that they want to hire. And then we can start spending more money on those programs, because that's basically what we did with computer science this past year. Is aerospace an, an area you're looking at as well? I'm told that we, uh, if you take the workforce at Boeing and for some, and some of their contractors, it's fairly old. The workforce, yeah, no, that's old. right. So we we look at aerospace in a couple different ways. We did an, we expanded an electrical engineering degree program this past year in my district. We 
tried but were not able to get an expansion of the Aerospace Joint Apprenticeship Council funding. And I think that's you know, obviously in the Boeing special session, there was a lot of attention to workforce, develop, workforce development for aerospace in general, and that is great and salutary. I think we we probably have not done as good a job, and by we I mean the state collectively, in getting very specific about what how we are going to generate replacements for the many Boeing workers in this state who may retire in 10 years. And that's something I'd very much like to have more input from Boeing and the rest of the aerospace community on. Did they offer any... Any points no, on that? The only uh, no, the only request that we got came from the Aerospace Joint Apprenticeship Council, which we had funded in the House budget, but were not successful in securing funding in the final budget. Um, it strikes me as we're talking about the, this issue and um, all these available jobs out there. When there are so many people who are talking about. Um, middle-class wage stagnation and and the opportunity gap that here's a real opportunity for, um, well, all students, but particularly students who come from more low-income, disadvantaged backgrounds to really, this is a real opportunity for them to grab that, that rung and start climbing that ladder. So um, what ideas do you have for um, making these types of opportunities available to everyone, and particularly when we're talking about computer science, I mean, as you were talking about the, the boot camp, um, that's great, but it's, it, it sounds like it, it's better to get the kids earlier so that they have a real foundation for this sure. um, as they move up the education And not everyone ladder. is going to be a software engineer. Sure. Not everyone needs to be a software engineer. This is a big, diverse, free market economy with a lot of ways to make money. And if people want to plug in as healthcare workers or as welders, or as machinists, or as software engineers, that's fantastic. I think if we are thinking of how to expand people's opportunities, particularly on the lower end of the income spectrum, as you were saying, there's really three things. One is affordability, both with making sure that we can keep tuition, especially community college tuition, low. Number two, and also making sure that we are adequately funding financial aid, which we are not right now, and was something else that I tried but was not able to fund in the final budget. Number two, to make sure that we are offering students the kind of career and college counseling that they need when they're in college. So if you're a first-generation student at Eastern Washington University and your family doesn't speak a lot of English and you came to this country when you were 16 – College can be a tough place to navigate, and we made major investments this year that Senator Braun and I agreed to make the Saturday before we left in career and college advising at Eastern, at Central Washington University, and at Evergreen, schools that serve large numbers of low-income students, veterans, returning students, and first-generation students. Third, we need to expand the programs that actually are proven to lead to good jobs. So the University of Washington Computer Science Department is one, and this is not just wealthy, affluent kids from Redmond who end up in that program. Half the graduates of that degree program started their careers at a community college. So I think if we expand all of these programs that do lead to good jobs in conjunction with affordability and some counseling, we can actually do something real on giving people better opportunities. I'd also like to put a pitch in for adjunct professor pay and um, being able to attract qualified professors and pay them so that they stay and are able to work their job as teachers and not wait tables at night and, you know, mow lawns on the weekends, but are actually able to devote their 
their careers and what they love and, and be the teachers that, that our students need. Yeah, and it's a tough, I mean, the whole faculty compensation question at the higher ed level is tricky because the uh, you obviously are filling the jobs, you know, There's or maybe you're not. If you're filling the jobs, it seems to indicate the pay is okay. If you're not filling the jobs, then the pay is probably not okay. So, for example, we had a big proposal for higher pay or a big proposal for nursing educator uh, a special loan program for nurse educators, people who will train future nurses. And the reports that we were getting from the institutions were, we're having a devil of a time attracting and retaining nursing faculty because they can make more money working at Swedish. And it seems that the, there are any number of ways to solve that problem, but that's the correct way to diagnose the problem is this is an area where you have pretty significant value in the market somewhere else, and we're losing you, and we probably do need to do something there to make sure we can attract and retain the kind of people we want. Um, Representative Hansen, are there any issues looking forward to the next session that you're kind of focusing on relating to the, any more computer science stuff, any more... Um, I mean, obviously, as chair of the Higher Education Committee, you've got a full plate, but anything in particular that you're really passionate about? I, this, looking forward, we'll be looking a lot at financial aid. We'll be looking a lot at the next step in our computer science initiative just to make sure we keep the investments going in the ways that we want. And we will be also looking at career and college advising. We're going to be getting reports from the schools that we gave a lot of money to on what they're going to do with that money and what they expect to be able to do with retention and completion rates. Representative Hansen, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been a Common Ground edition of Policy Today, and we've had with us uh, our panel, Randy Abrams-Karras, Mary Strau, and myself. And again, thanks to Representative Hansen, and thank you very much for joining us. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality, and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.